Well, the world is getting quieter despite all the noise pollution. Just ask acoustic ecologist Eddie Gain, who spends much of his life in rainforests and wilderness areas of the Asia-Pacific region, recording the sounds of the wildlife. He'll tell you the dawn and dusk choruses just aren't what they used to be. We know this all too well here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Botanist Joseph Banks travelled with James Cook on his first expedition to New Zealand and in a journal entry described the dawn chorus he heard on January the 17th, 1770 in the Marlborough Sounds. This morn I was awaked by the singing of the birds ashore from whence we are distant not a quarter of a mile. The numbers of them were certainly very great, who seemed to strain their throats with emulation perhaps. Their voices were certainly the most melodious, wild music I have ever heard, almost imitating small bells, but with the most untunable silver sound imaginable. Well, Eddie is the lead scientist and director of the Conservation for the Nature Conservancy's Asia-Pacific region, working on community-based restoration, management and conservation projects. His happy place, though, is recording in rainforests. Listening and experiencing are quite different. I'd spent a lot of time in rainforests before I started listening to them in this way. And when you, you do listen in a different way when you're out there to try and interpret the sounds, and I think... You know, rainforests are very immersive places. You, know, you, you hear them, but you feel them at the same time. They're wet and they're hot and they're always noisy. But when you're out there trying to kind of interpret those sounds, it was, it was one of the kind of eye-opening moments for me is when I, when I started putting headphones on and listening to the rainforest, it's even more noisy than you imagine. You know, it's just almost an assault on you. It's hard, it makes, it's hard for your brain to make sense of the amount of noise. And I think it, it just shows you how much filtering your your eyes and your brain do for kind of sounds that they think are, are relevant around you. But you know, there is so much sound out there, and and the, and the rainforest is probably there's very few environments in the world that that are noisier and sort of more saturated with sound than a healthy rainforest. Well, one of the sadnesses, of course, is that we have less and less healthy rainforest around the world. And I know this is kind of you know your patch. Uh, where we are, Asia-Pacific area. But, I mean, that's, I guess, one of the things that you're looking at also, is it is the impact of, of logging and deforestation. The whole region is a really busy place, you know, not just the kind of busy populated parts of Asia, but also uh, the islands that exist throughout the Pacific. As a location, it's sort of been ground zero for so much of the ecological damage that's happened over the last 30 or 40 years, and we've seen an enormous loss of species across the Asia-Pacific region. And rainforests and, and certainly healthy patches of forests are getting scarcer. And, and that's been, you know, that was one of the driving forces for even starting to listen to, to forests in this way, was to understand more about how we were damaging them, often in ways that we weren't really even sure about. And you know, now that we've been able to sort of build up a body of recordings, uh, sort of a, a library of things that we're listening to from across the region, we see the same trends over and over again which is saddening, but it also is, it also is kind of motivating. I mean, we're a nation of, of birds here in Aotearoa, but we forget also that we're a nation of insects. And I think what the most prolific sound that you pick up wherever you go would be insects. Oh, 100%. Um, and especially as we're really interested in what happens over a, an entire day in the life of any environment we're in. So, you know, we're recording for 24 hours straight and more than that, but, but we're sort of analysing in these 24-hour blocks and certainly at night time it's, it's dominated by insects and that can be a good thing, but it can also sometimes be a bad thing. We see some 
environments that are more degraded, we see a higher prevalence of insects. And we see, we see kind of the same insects everywhere. So you might have these soundscapes that get dominated by insects that you know have come in from somewhere else and they're sort of making sound all the time. But yeah, in, insects, are, uh, insects are a really vocal part. And I think people forget that, just, just how many insects make sound and how noisy they can be. Your work has taken you to some fascinating places. And one of the ones I thought we'd talk about next is, is Papua New Guinea. Uh, and of course, the, I mean, the wilderness area over there, the healthy wilderness area, they have some extraordinary species. What's it like for you? Again, headphones, microphones, uh, working with locals also, which I know you do. What are you listening out for? What are you hearing in PNG? Yeah, it's a really special opportunity to be able to work in the PNG rainforests. And I think, you know, they're, they're right on our doorstep here in Australia and yours in New Zealand. And, and both countries have had a long history of association with New Guinea. And yet they have an incredible rainforest, really one of the great remaining rainforests of the world is Papua New Guinea. And, and you're right, I mean, like an enormous number of species found in the rainforest in New Guinea that are not found anywhere else. Um, they're, they're species that are really important to the local communities. They're often kind of totemic species, and sometimes they're just sort of pragmatically important too as sources of food, but they're also a great source of pride. And so whenever we're doing conservation projects with communities in Papua New Guinea, they're really fascinated about how their environment is sustaining these species and things like, I mean, obviously birds of paradise are incredibly sort of iconic species of that rainforest, but cassowaries too, you know, big flightless birds. And that they proved a really, their own unique problem for recording sound because they, they vocalise at such low frequencies that they're actually hard for our microphones to, to pick up. And so, yeah, we had, we had to do some kind of special filtering to try and get down and, and detect the calls of cassowaries. Despite all the noise pollution, Eddie, is the world getting quieter? I mean, here in New Zealand, we have, I hear some beautiful dawn and dusk choruses in some of our sanctuaries. Um, maybe not deafening, but it gives us a feeling for what it was like. But I imagine the world must be getting quieter, are we? It is. Yeah, you're right, Lynn. And many people do have this perception that, oh, you know, we've made the world a noisy place full of anthropogenic noises. And it's true to an extent, but the overwhelming signature that we see in our in our recordings that we're making in forests all over the Asia Pacific is, is that it's getting quieter, especially those dawn and dusk chorus. You know, that's the, that's the very first thing that we see yeah, as forests. I mean, it's where any environment gets degraded as we just see that, that, that peak of that noise in the morning just gets a little quieter, a little less complex. You know, the great silencing of the dawn, it's, it's probably the saddest thing that we see in this data overall, just how consistent that signature is. I think we need to cheer ourselves up. I think we need to talk about the Australian night parrot because this is an example of listening back to recordings and hearing something that you didn't expect. I'm not sure if it happens very often, but this felt like a good news story. The night parrot was sort of a, almost a mythological bird living in the deserts of Australia and had, had, hadn't been seen for a very long time until someone took a recording of it eventually and said, oh, no, it is there. Look, I've got a recording. And, and that, that sort of triggered a big search for it and a lot of the use of recording equipment to try and narrow down that search and yeah rediscovered it had more of them than we thought and it is yeah it is a good news story that's that can't happen that often I wouldn't think but um the sound was out there it was just kind of waiting for us to think oh, you know all we had to do was record it and listen to it 
I'm not sure if you've been to Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, or if you've been here with your gear, but you're very welcome to come and help us try and find the South Island Kōkako. Uh, there's quite a search for years and years going on. The North Island Kōkako has survived. It's the most beautiful, beautiful call. Um, but there are those in the South Island who are absolutely convinced that they may be there. And I have a feeling that it's going to be recordings like these uh, that are going to be more likely to pick them up than somebody seeing something in the distance or trying to record on their cell phone. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I have had the wonderful opportunity to be in New Zealand a number of times and I, I hope to get back there soon. But you're right, there's, you know, there's something about recording is a wonderful, a wonderfully kind of robust way that's not quite as fallible as people's eyesight. And that's one of the reasons why we started doing this to collect data um, originally. It's just because, you know, when people go out there and walk through the forest, everyone sees something different and people hear something different. But, you know, a microphone, if you set it up right, hears roughly the same thing. So you can have a lot of confidence in what it hears. Well, you sent us uh, this clip. We'll just play some of it now. So, Eddie, what are we hearing there? I'm hearing a whoop, whoop. That's a, a, like a pigeon, a, a forest, like a fruit pigeon, a fruit dove. And that was leading to my next question, really, which is in analysing the sound when you've got so many layers, when you've got the tiniest insects through to um, these bigger species. Can you do that with a human ear or are you now relying more and more on AI? So certainly for the size of the data sets we work with and the complexity of the rainforest, we rely on, on computers for kind of the bulk of our interpretation. But we do, we do have to go back and make sure that it's actually making sense to the human ears. You know, that this is driven by, these questions are driven by people and you want to make sure we're interpreting, right? So one of the things we actually, we did with a lot of our data sets was get people, lots of different experts to listen to them and try and pick out different sounds because sometimes it's a bit hard for a computer to know when one sound starts and when another sound doesn't or, or if it's the same species just, just calling slightly differently and we wanted to make sure that the computer is telling us something similar, ideally more, but at, at least something not inconsistent with what the human ear and, and the good news is that they do, you know, that people when they listen to the you know, experts really listen carefully to this they identify similar sorts of species that the computer does. The great thing is the computer can do is look at much more of that data um, and look at it more consistently and so give us a picture about what's going on. That would be really tough for a human that has to concentrate enormously just to pick out a handful of species over, say, a 30-second period. Have you and uh, those working with you detectors in any part of this region really dramatic change in sound so you'd compare a recording made maybe I don't know 10 years ago to one that might have been recorded earlier this year and it's just so dramatically different. We haven't had the opportunity to record it for that that long but certainly there are some recordings in Borneo that could speak to those kind of differences but we use a bit of a trick actually sort of I guess you would call it a space for time substitution so what we can do is look at environments that were you know might have been cleared 
like forest 10 years ago or um, represent different sort of stages that you would expect a, a forest to go through in terms of degradation. And so instead of recording a, one patch of forest that was healthy and then got degraded, we record um, a place that was degraded and then a place that was healthy and compared them. And it won't surprise you, but it's sort of hard to imagine just how different the acoustic environment, the soundscape is in a piece of healthy forest where the forest is still there and you walk around it and you can sort of see it and touch it and smell it to, I guess, these agricultural forests that we've gone to where you've got plantations. And, and often, there, you know, there's still pretty substantial forests, but a plantation that, that's made for wood and a natural forest are, are just completely different environments. And it's, it, it was staggering to me to see how different sort of how different they are, and that's reflected in the, the soundscape we hear too. Well, as if by magic, we have clips of just what you're talking about. And, I mean, depending on how people are listening to us, this might be quite subtle, but here's a few seconds of a forest, a protected forest that was never logged. This is in Indonesia. Okay, and now we'll bring in audio from a selectively logged forest. Gosh, so different. And now from a, a palm oil block. And this one, you mentioned a plantation, this is from an acacia plantation. Right, all very, very different there, Eddie. That last one almost sounded like fire. What will we be hearing? Probably some insects you, you're hearing, and certainly in those plantation forests, that's something we've seen really dominated by insects at, at sort of all times of the day. So the, the um, never-before-logged forest, and again, it's, you can get tricked with levels, you know, so if people heard slightly different levels, they may think louder is healthier. But I guess what you're really listening for is the mix of sounds, of species represented in the area, right? That's exactly right, yeah, the sort of complexity of the sound. We, we describe it as the saturation of the sound is what we're listening out for because our, our ears definitely get thrown off by loud sounds. So we hear some loud sounds, it's really hard for us to tell everything else that's going there, but the computer doesn't really have that problem. So you can tell us sort of how saturated, how full the soundscape is. And in those forests in Indonesia, we actually learned something really fascinating from, from the recording. So we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have been able to find this out if it wasn't for, for the sort of way we were recording that. If you go to some logged forests, and logged forests can look pretty good in Indonesia because they're often just selectively harvesting trees, and sometimes the total number of species there at any one point is still very high, comparable to kind of a primary or unlogged forest. And we saw that in the sound too, that, you know, the overall soundscape looks pretty saturated and pretty complex. But when you take lots of recordings, we started to notice this trend where forests that have been logged kind of sound the same everywhere, whereas forests that haven't been logged at the proper sort of primary virgin forest, they sound saturated but also really different everywhere and what that's telling us is you know we're sort of losing species that we're not even picking up and and that reflects the kind of other data we have on birds and things like that too where the actual 
total number of species at any one point in time is quite high, but uh, if you look across sort of a large area, then the number of species collectively is much lower because it's the same species everywhere. So are you and those at the Nature Conservancy taking this, I mean, this is research, isn't it? This is information. What are you hoping to be able to to do with it? I, mean, I was just picturing you going into an office with some, you know, wealthy people making money from the uh, from the forest and, and playing them some recordings and saying this is <laughs> this is the problem. Um, so, are, so are people listening? And what are you what are you hoping to do with this information? You actually characterise a lot of my job very well. I think it's uh, <laughs> but that it's one of the it's one of the nice things about sort of working actively in the space that I do is it's research, but I get to see that straight into application. And so yeah, that, that's absolutely what we're doing in Indonesia. We're working really closely with forestry companies and with the the government that kind of sets the forestry rules to discuss different options and and some of them are like well okay you know maybe what we could do is harvest some more trees from the areas we harvest and leave large areas where we don't harvest Um, we're also working on techniques that involve building less roads to try and harvest those areas because we know there's a real relationship between the amount of road we build through a forest and the, the damage that's done to biodiversity and so those sorts of things mean, you know, we can we, we, we come and turn up with data. But I think you know, one of the cool things about sound is it's, you turn up with data that you don't have to just show on a graph that you can actually have people listen to. And it's a little bit more, a little bit more visceral. It's almost a, it's a, it's a better characterization, I think, of, of what biodiversity means than, than most of the plots and charts that we show. Where are you off to next, Eddie? Oh, because I'm off to the Solomon Islands in a, a couple of weeks. Uh, the great pleasure of working in the kind of western provinces there of Choiseul and Isabel, and you know, they have they have some fantastic some of the last big patches of lowland rainforest left in the Pacific, and and the the rainforests in the lowlands are the, are the ones that disappeared the quickest because they were flat and easy to clear, and so you know often when you look at where the remaining rainforests are, even in places like Papua New Guinea, it's sort of high and steep on mountainsides. But they, yeah, no, they've still got some beautiful rainforest in, in the Solomon Islands and, and, of course, great marine environments too, which is interesting. That, that's something I should flag for you in New Zealand, you know, your listeners there, that New Zealanders uh, and New Zealand researchers have had, had a really kind of leading role in bringing some of this acoustic ecology into the water um, and doing some really interesting stuff, looking at how the sound, I guess you'd see the soundscape underwater, can tell us the same sorts of things about health of marine environments. Well, I talked about noise pollution before, and I think there's a lot of research going into if our whales and dolphins are struggling to communicate under water with such a busy time with ships, etc. Yeah, that's right. I mean, sound travels so far underwater, especially low sound. So things like things like ships, um, you know, they're, they're basically a very, very low frequency sound. And as a general rule, so the lower the frequency, the, the further it can travel and the more things it can penetrate through. So when you've got something like a, a you know, big container ship's incredibly low sound, but you know, it can just be heard so far. So it doesn't take a lot of ship traffic to create a great deal of acoustic pollution in the ocean. Eddie Game, lead scientist and director of conservation for the Nature Conservancy's Asia-Pacific region.